stand with me as I read from Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord.
flung something great this morning that I want to show you. It's, it's really amazing. Um, this, is, this is a glove, and I've seen this glove do amazing things. Now, I've seen this glove wave hello to people. I've seen it point. I've seen it do fist bumps. I've seen it shake hands. That's normal stuff for gloves to do. But this glove is special. This glove can do amazing things. I, I've seen this glove hit a golf ball so hard with such a slice that it literally severed a one-inch branch of a tree and kept going through it. That's how hard this thing can hit. I've seen this, ball, this, this glove drive a golf ball 280 yards straight down the fairway from the tee to the green and then go on to putt a birdie. This is an amazing glove. But I could tell you about this glove all morning, but rather I'm just going to set it here and let it do its thing and amaze you this morning. All right, is that okay? I'm going to set it right here, and we're going to see. I'm just going to step back and let it do its thing. Keep your eye on it. Don't miss it. Um, you're making me look bad. Do your thing. It's, it's not, maybe it's shy. We'll come back to it a little bit later. Keep your eye on it during the message, all right? You don't want to miss what this glove can do. All right, we'll come back to it. Uh, let's, let's go into the message then, and don't let me down later, okay? All right, here we go. We've been talking about this idea of living in God's presence. Don't forget, keep your eye on the glove, all right? and the screen, one eye each direction, all right? Now you're all going to be looking like this the whole day. But uh, we've been talking about this idea of living in God's presence. We talked about, the first week we discussed the story of Moses and how Moses was asking for God's presence. It wasn't enough to come to do the things that Moses was going to do. It wasn't enough to lead the people. He asked for God's presence, and he said, I don't want to go one more step, God, unless your presence goes with us because God had removed his presence from their assembly because of their sin and disobedience. And it was interesting that when Moses asked for God's presence, he also asked to, to see God's glory, and God answered that prayer. It was an amazing journey, an exciting thing that Moses went through with the presence of God. Then we talked in week two about David, and, and we talked about David and the idea of giving myself completely to God. It's not just enough to ask for God's presence with me. It's my role then is to give myself completely to him. And we went through David's sin and his disobedience and all the things that he had done against God. And he asked forgiveness and, and said, I am committing myself completely to you. Then in week three, we went back to this idea of seeking God's presence, not just asking for it verbally, but seeking after it and moving where God moved, going where God goes, follow him around. And, and so Elisha, at the moment Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, not a chariot of fire. Remember, chariot of fire was the distraction. Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me when I go, then you'll get a double portion of my spirit, that inheritance, that, that birthright, that double portion of what God could do. It was the, the chariot of fire was just the distraction, but God came in a whirlwind, a tornado, and took him to heaven. We get that confused many times. But Elisha followed him. From place to place, Elijah said, just go ahead and stay here with the other pro this company of prophets in this town. I said, no, I'm going to go where you go. I want to be there. I don't want to miss anything. He had plenty of opportunity to step away, and he said, no, I'm going to seek God's presence. And then last week, we talked about this idea of Jesus and how, how when 
John the Baptist talked about Jesus' uh, baptism and all of that. He was looking and saying, there are signs that I was told to look for, the dove coming down from heaven, the voice from heaven, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all present in the baptism of Jesus. And that moment, well away from where they were, where God took the temple veil that separated all of mankind from where he resided in the Holy of Holies and ripped it from top to bottom. God said, my presence is available to you. I'm no longer in this place. My presence is available to you in your life wherever you are. So all of that is happening. A few years later, that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We've gone through 33 and a half years of Jesus' ministry. He's dead. He's gone. The resurrection occurred. We're excited. Easter Sunday's there 50 days later. Now we're here at the day of Pentecost, and we're asking ourselves, so what? What difference does the day of Pentecost make? Well, I want to suggest to you it's not enough just to ask for God's presence. It's not enough for us to put our place, ourselves in a position to seek his presence, to devote ourselves wholly to him. We need to understand that Jesus prepared the way into his presence, but now through the Holy Spirit we receive God's presence in our lives. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to take a look at that. And again, keep your hands, eyes on the glove. You might see something today. I promise you, you will see something. I don't know what, but you will see something. So how do we receive God's presence? In order to understand that, we have to look and understand the power of God's presence in our lives. We go back to the day where technically it all started, the day of Pentecost, and where the Holy Spirit was made available to every believer. If you remember the promise, Jesus said, I'm going to go back to heaven. I have to be with my Father. I have to do that. I have to leave you so that the Holy Spirit can come and live in your life in ways that I never could. If you think about that, Jesus walks side by side. We always say, hey, I, I, if I could go back in time to a place, I'd like to go back and be one of the disciples and walk side by side with Jesus. I'm not sure you really want to do that. That would be a radical life change for any of us. He didn't have a home. He was out in the, in the countryside all the time. Occasionally he'd stay in some friends' homes, and that was like you know, going to the Hilton in Jesus' day. But he didn't have a lot of friends. He did some amazing things. But then he up and left his followers three and a half years later. And they're in this place where, well, what's the Holy Spirit? We're going to wait for the Holy Spirit. God's going to do something, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. Jesus is gone, and nothing's happening. How patient are you? I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I, I typically am a very patient person unless I have to get somewhere. This morning, there was a long line at McDonald's drive-thru. And, and so I had to go inside, and I went inside. It was cool. I went inside without my mask. I'm loving it. Uh, the, it. It makes up for that whole day after the second vaccine, I'm telling you, when you can breathe and walk around and let people see your full exposure of your face. Sorry about that, but, you know, that's just the way it is. And, uh, and, and so this morning I went in, and there's a gentleman standing there, behind the cash register. And there's two people in front of me, and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And I look at the sign in front of the gentleman that's at the cash register that said, this line for drive through orders only. I'm thinking, OK, I'm inside McDonald's. He's taking drive through orders only. It took me a while to put it together, OK? The cash register beside him said, this order for dine-in or takeout, or this cash register for dine-in or takeout only. And right behind that cash register was no one. 
Not a single person. There's 20 employees running around like chickens with their heads cut off because the, the drive throughs back the whole way around the building, and nobody is there. And I asked the people in front of me, I said, did you guys get weight on this? They said, no, we've been standing here forever. Well, that was the key word, forever. And I had to get here. So being the non-assertive person I said uh, that I am, I typically look for the person in the blue shirt. The person in the blue shirt came out and said, excuse me, ma'am, is anybody taking orders? She looked around, now she's in charge, she looked around and she went over and took our orders. We got through there and okay. Would you wait for 50 days for something? Think about that, how patient would you be? Would you be willing to give up 50 days of your life earnestly seeking in prayer the promise that Jesus gave you 50 days earlier? I wonder. But that's the scenario we have. That's the beginnings of the early church. It's, it's these people that have gathered together. We see someplace that they're, that in Scripture that, that they numbered them around 120 or so, and, and they're gathered together, and they're praying, and they're seeking after God. And so we, we come to our text that we read, and I'm going to read parts of it. I'm going to skip over some of it. But when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We're going to find out what that one place is. It's probably not what you think it is. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I'm not going to go down through this whole long list of, of things that happened, but you see there were people from all around the world in Jerusalem that day. Let me remind you, God's timing is always perfect. Even when it doesn't fit with our timing. Even when we may not wait 50 days for the promise, we might get impatient. Even when we might say, I've been praying for this person's salvation for 10 years and nothing's happened. God has a timing in things. When it was his timing, when everybody from all nations around the, the known world at that time were there, the Spirit came. And they, they began to speak in tongues, the, the apostles did, and, and, and you begin to see, uh, well, that doesn't make sense. They're Galileans. How can we understand them in our tongues? And then we go get this big, long list. If it wasn't enough to say from all parts of the world, they list all parts of the world. Luke, the historian, wants to make sure that we understand no one was excluded from this, witnessing this event. And so they have these words. Now, some of you say, hey, she did a great job reading these words this morning. Some of you say, I would not stand up and try in some of those. Let me help you out with that. If you're ever reading scripture in public and you don't know the word, you just say, and God, really big word, and move on. Everybody else will, will understand what you're saying, and they'll go right through it. If you come across a second word that you don't understand, it's too big, or a place that you can't pronounce, say other really big word. You get my point. But she did a phenomenal job going through there, and it lists all of these different places around the known world. And then we get down to this, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What's going on here? You see, when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, it gets people's attention. When God comes and does amazing things in people's lives, people take notice. People who aren't Christians take notice that there is a change, that something is different. When the Holy Spirit comes, nothing is ever the same again. Think back to those moments in your walk with Christ where you were in a room, maybe it was a worship service, maybe it was a camp meeting, wherever it was, where you sensed God's presence in a powerful way. I remember those days, and I'm not advocating that we try and remake those days, 
But I remember those days where the service would go for two or three hours, and nobody cared about the pot roast burning at home. Nobody cared about how hungry they were and getting to the restaurant before the Baptist did. Nobody cared about any of that anymore because, well, you understand that reference, right? Old country buffet? The older, the, the, gray, the average age is gray hair and above, and they're usually Baptist. They always get there first, so you got to get there ahead of them to get the, the warm food. And I wish that was a joke. I wish that was a joke. I, I have literally seen it play out. I've, I've listened to people talk. Oh, we tend the Baptist church down here, and they all got there ahead of us Nazarenes. We said, next week, we got to start sooner. And, uh, and so we don't, those days where you don't care about any of that, right, because God's presence is all that matters. I kind of think that's what heaven's going to be like. I kind of think that those questions that we all have that we're going to ask Jesus when we see him face-to-face, I don't think any of that's going to matter because we're going to see him face-to-face, something Moses didn't even accomplish. I think we kind of get little glimpses into heaven when the Spirit is, is there. So what does this mean? That's what they're asking. What does this mean? So we need to ask that same question. What happened at Pentecost? Really, what happened at Pentecost and, and maybe the first question is to ask, what is Pentecost? You know, we celebrate it and say, okay, it's 50 days after, 50 days after what? The, the Jewish feast of Pentecost was one of three great annual religious feasts in the, in the Jewish tradition. So it was one of three events that they would celebrate every year. It was a one-day celebration, and it observed the actual completion of the harvest and was known as Pentecost because it came the 50th day after the presentation of the harvest first fruits. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks because it fell seven weeks after the Passover. Remember the Passover. That's the day to remember what God did in the nation of Egypt as as the death angel came and they passed over the houses that were marked with blood. And and so the the nation of Israel was released from Egyptian slavery. It's seven weeks after that. It's also 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't it interesting how all of that just came together by chance? Or is it possible that there's a God who has a plan, who in his sovereignty said this and this and this because of all the teachings and the symbolism and the meaning and the bringing of the sacrificial lamb to the temple on the time Jesus dies and 50 days later it all comes together when the Holy Spirit comes? Makes you wonder if there really is a God at work. He does have a plan and he is sovereign in our lives. So there was a great spiritual significance associated with this day. And and Jews from all over the known world were in Jerusalem for this celebration. We've already talked about that. So this is a big deal. It's almost this, well, almost as big of a deal as everybody wearing red and staying for dinner after church, right? It's a celebration. It's a time to be joyful. It's a time to to get together and to to express the goodness of God and and to focus on him. And that's what's happening. And here we are today doing the same thing, celebrating the day of Pentecost. Well, Pentecost was actually birthed in an attitude of worship, which we have done today. I don't know about you, and I just kind of hinted at this, but I just want to publicly go on record and just say I love your praise team here. I've come to love them and appreciate them, and I have never in 30 years of ministry had a group choose songs that match so perfectly the sermon that I was bringing that day. We've gotten close, but I've sat out here amazed, stopped singing, just amazed at the lyrics and knowing what I was going to say to you, and the lyrics already said exactly the words I had chosen. They do a phenomenal job, and it's okay to clap for them again. Much better than last week. Thank you. 
But they're here, to, they're here not to put on a show. They're here to what? Lead us in worship. And they do that so wonderfully because they are worshiping. They're giving us examples of worship. And Pentecost was birthed in this attitude of worship. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 50. When he had led them to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them, talking about Jesus, and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now that's important to understand. Pentecost was birthed in an attitude of worship. When Jesus went back up to heaven, the disciples recognized that was a holy moment. And they stayed there, and they worshipped him. He's no longer there visibly. They worshipped him. Now, I don't know about you. If I saw the way Jesus went up to heaven (laughs) and disappeared before my eyes and everything, I think I'd get it that this really was the Son of God. If I haven't figured it out yet, I think that's a pretty good clue. And they were in a spirit of worship. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Why? Wouldn't you think they'd be sad because Jesus, their teacher, was gone? But he made them a promise. The Holy Spirit will come. And they were excited about the next chapter in this, in this early Christian church in their lives. And they, they worshipped him with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. That's important. Because the, the events in Acts chapter uh, 2 most likely occurred in a temple and not a particular home. Well, you say, well, the scripture says the house where they were staying was filled. Okay, that kind of makes sense. You know, you think of house as a home, except you're not using the word the way they would have used it that day. And it's so important for us to understand what the word meant in the original, to the original hearers and the original speakers of that time. You see, the day of Pentecost was a time of celebration at the temple. The disciples that we've already learned from Luke were already worshiping daily at the temple. The term house, as we have here, house or home, was a Jewish term referring to the temple. They wouldn't say, I'll meet you at the temple. They said, I'll see you at the house, meaning the house of the Lord. You know, how many times have we used the word, I'll see you at church, to refer to the location where God resides. Now, now I will say this, just a little bit of theology here. If you say, I'll see you at church, you're, you're living in the Old Testament. If you, see, if you say, I will see you at the house, you're living in the Old Testament. Because from this point forward, the Spirit, what does it say? We are the church. Our bodies are the temple. When the veil was torn, the Holy Spirit, God, moved Jesus, moved out of the temple, out of the house, and into hearts and lives. There's a subtle change happening here, and it's reflected in how we use our words. So when you leave here today, you haven't left the church. You are the church wherever you go. It's a subtle change, but I'll tell you, if all we think of is, I'll see you at church on Sunday, and we, we go through our daily lives, I can't wait to get back to church to worship God on Sunday, and we miss the whole point of the New Testament that we are the temple, and we worship him every day by everything we say and everything we do, we've misunderstood this whole thing about the church. So maybe you can say, I'll see you at table life on Sunday. It's hard. It's a hard transition, isn't it? Because we're so used to saying certain things but you are the church. When I say I'll see you at church, I'm talking about hey, right now, here we are, the two of us talking, we are the church. And the home 
the house is how they would refer to the temple. So we understand most likely they were following the, the, the comment in Luke 24 where it talks about they were daily at the temple worshiping God. I'll see you at the house. When the Holy Spirit came, they were at the house of God. The house, or Pentecost, was also accompanied by symbols. It's interesting. We use symbols all the time in our lives, don't we? We talked about some of those when I gave you the driver's exam last week. All right? Some of you passed. Some of you, uh, you know, some of us weren't quite sure. And, um, but most of us did very well on that. But we have symbols all around us. Look around the building, or around the room here today. What are the symbols we see? We see banners up on the stage behind me of symbols. We see symbols down here of the body and the blood of Christ. You know that the idea of uh, the stained glass window in churches was to tell the story, the Bible story, for people who couldn't read? We have a stained glass window in the church. We now call it the screen. We can tell the story. We can put symbols of the dove representing the Holy Spirit. We have symbols everywhere we go. Did you know that a clock really is a symbol? It's a symbol of time, isn't it? If you say, what time is it? You're going to look at the symbol to get an idea of what time it is, the, the, representing the moment in time that we're talking about. So there's symbols of God's presence that occurred on, on the day of Pentecost. The first one was the wind, the sound of wind. Now, this just wasn't any wind. This was wind that got their attention. This was wind that was starting to shake the rafters. <laughs> this was the wind that, that it wasn't just a subtle thing. It was almost as if a tornado was whipping around in the temple. Now, imagine this for a moment. You're one of the 120 or so that are there. You're gathered in your section of the temple courtyard, and you're there, you're there for worship, and you're over here, and all of a sudden, this big wind starts coming. And all of these events that are about to happen, all of these symbols, ignore everybody else and come over on your group. People are going to start taking notice, aren't they? What's going on over there? What's happening in that corner with those Christ followers? You see, the sound of wind is important because the, the Greek word pneuma literally means breath. And the wind was a symbol of the breath of God, representing the breath of God breathing new life into the disciples. When we talk about Holy Spirit, it, it's that symbolism of breath. And, and God is breathing new life into the church. He's giving them something new and different. And when do we hear about God breathing life into some, something before? Back in Genesis, right? God breathed life into a bunch of clay and ashes and bone that all came together. And there's Adam laying on the ground lifeless. And the Bible says God breathed life into him. Here we have a church defeated, discouraged, excited, praising, not sure about the new, what's coming down the road. And God comes in the symbol of a wind, God's breath, breathing new life into the church. But it wasn't just the symbol of the wind that we found that day. It was the symbol of tongues of fire. Now, I don't know about you, that would kind of be a little bit scary to me if I, if I saw these tongues of fire whipping around and, and these little flames that you think all of a sudden you become a human candle. And you got that little thing on the top of your head, and, and, and it, but it's not a little thing, it's a big thing, because God doesn't do things in little ways. He's got this big flame, it looks like a big tongue of fire, it sits on your head. And all those of you who are the Christ followers, but not everybody else. Something is happening over in that corner of the temple. 
The tongues of fire can be symbols of unity. They can also be symbols of diversity. If you think about a flame, as you look at it as a candle, watch it burn. It doesn't look the same all the time, does it? It's always changing. It's always impacted by the oxygen in the room or the wind as somebody walks by or getting smaller because of lack of oxygen in the room. It's constantly diversifying and changing, but it's unifying in that the tongues may not have looked the same on all the people who were very different, but it was a tongue of fire, indicative of God's presence. Something different is happening in this corner of the temple. The third symbol that we have is other languages. Now, this is not the speaking of tongues that Paul refers to later in the scriptures. It's a different Greek word used for this. This is literally speaking in other languages. It's, it's the, as Peter and others got up to speak that day, as we heard read here, Peter gets up, he shares this word, and everybody's just amazed. Like, we're listening to what they're saying to each other, and, and, and they're Galileans, and I can understand them in my native, ta- my native language, my native tongue. Something is going on in that temple of the corner, or that corner of the temple of the corner. There you go. That corner of the temple. Something is happening to these Christ followers. You see, when God comes on the scene, people take notice. Even people who aren't quite involved in understanding everything. And the sound of wind, the tongues of fire, the other languages. Um, I had an opportunity years ago uh, at uh, Pittsburgh District Family Camp. It seemed like there was an era there, because my wife and I grew up at Pittsburgh District Family Camp. That's actually, uh, that's where we saw each other the most before we were dating, was we don't go to camp together every year and and hang out and get to know each other, and eventually, you never know what happens when you meet someone at four years of age. You know, I won't be here next week because we celebrate 35 years of marriage, but really, 35 years of marriage, it's really more like 51 years of knowing her. And... um, and so we, I think when I say that, I think, wow, that's really old. But there was a time when we would go to camp after I had uh, called, I called a ministry and was preaching in other churches. We weren't even on the Pittsburgh district. We'd go back every year for family camp. And it seemed like every year I finally got smart. After the first year or two, I just started taking a message for the teens along with me. I just, I just, laid, I just kept one in my Bible all the time. This is days before you know tablets and iPads and all of that. And now I just keep a whole stack of messages available to me anytime. But I, I remember going back, and inevitably, the speaker would leave early. They'd say, hey, Ray, you're here for, I'm on vacation. You're here. Would you come and speak to the teens on Sunday school, for Sunday school on Sunday? And I'd go down and do that. And the next year, it might be this, and it was like, we, we don't have a speaker for campfire. Um, could you do the campfire service? I said, when? Oh, tonight, in about two hours. I said, I got you. Got you covered. And so I went this one time. And we're sitting around the campfire together out in the field. And I told my story of my call to preach. I don't have time to get into that this morning. But I told the story of how God touched my life on that campgrounds. And I would point to different spots where each aspect of the story unfolded over the course of a long evening. And Beth was with me through it all. And uh, we were not married at the time. And uh, we were just dating. We were home from college. and, and, And God just did some things amazing in our lives that night. And I told that story. And I said to the kids around the campfire, I said, I wonder if God's calling any of you to give your lives to him in full-time Christian service tonight, that he wants you to be a pastor, that he wants you to be a missionary or whatever he's calling you to do. If that's the case, stick around and talk with me. I'm going to let everybody else go in a moment. 
and I want you guys to go over to the gym and be quiet until you see me walk away from the campfire. Now, that's like 100 teenagers being quiet. That was a miracle in and of itself. It actually worked. They were very respectful. And a couple things happened that night. One of, uh, who became one of my good friends, who pastored 15-minute drive from my last church that I pastored, said to me, that's the night God called him to preach when I spoke at the campfire with two hours' notice. But the other thing that happened that night is a gentleman came up, and he was there from Puerto Rico, and he spoke very little English. In fact, it was very hard for him to communicate to me what he was saying. And he said, in essence, this. When I listen to speakers, I have a hard time understanding what they're saying. I, I don't get it. I, I, can't, I don't know enough English. And this was taking him a long time to kind of tell me this. But I don't know enough English to understand what they're saying. But for tonight, for some reason, I understood every word you said. I understood every word you said. And God's called me to be a pastor in my country. And I thought, that's the languages on the day of Pentecost, where God translates from my English to his Spanish in a way that God can touch his life. It's only ever happened to me once in my life that I know of. But that's what was going on that day. Peter's getting up and talking in his native tongue, and everybody from around the world is understanding him in their own language. Now think about that. I'm understanding in my own language. There's a tongue of fire on your head. We have this big wind going around. Something is going on in that corner of the temple. And when God comes on the scene, everything is different, and people take notice. So what difference does Pentecost make in my life? I mean, we celebrate this every year, right? Pastor Jeff and I were talking before the service. He said, for the last five years in a row, thank you for keeping, I don't know if he said thank you for keeping up the tradition, but I'm putting thank you into his words, uh, into his conversation. But he said, it seems like every year for the last five years, the pastor takes the Sunday after Pentecost off, and I have to, I've been preaching every Sunday, and that's happening next week. And so I'm, I didn't know about the tradition, you know, but I'm glad to, glad to keep you in, in tune. So, you know, I'll pass that along to Pastor Chris to just say, take the day after Pentecost off just for giggles and see what happens. But, um, but it's interesting what God does. And it's interesting the difference that Pentecost can make in my life. I, I want to suggest to you it's the simplest three little things. That first, God wants to fill you with his presence. We've been talking about these Bible characters. They want to see God. They want to seek after him. They want, to, they want to experience him in different ways. They want his presence in their lives. But when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, he fills you with his presence. When you really make your life a place where God can live and give everything to him, no holds back, and just give it to him. God wants to fill you with his presence. And with that filling comes... With that filling comes empowerment. God wants to empower you with his presence. You, you see, we read this morning, before the, before the message, we read the part about after Pentecost, Peter gets up and he shares this message and 3,000 people became Christians after that one message. That's Peter after Pentecost. That's the guy that a month and a half earlier denied Christ because they were 
Christ, they were about to kill Christ, and they said, oh, you're one of those Christians. Oh, no, I'm not. That was weak, powerless Peter that after the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, preached, and they had the greatest conversion that they had, the church had ever had to that point. You see, you say, well, what can I do in my life? My, my life isn't, isn't very powerful. There's nothing about me that's powerful. There's something that happens, a boldness that happens when you allow God to fill you with his spirit. There's a boldness that comes with that that says, I'll say whatever I need to say. I'll do whatever I need to do because, God, you are in me. You've filled me. You've empowered me to do it. But there's one other thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. He sends you on mission with his presence. We've been talking this theme throughout all of these five weeks, and we've said that God will not waste his time on somebody who's not going to do anything with what he gives you. Why would you seek after God and ask for his presence to keep it to yourself? That's not what God intended. God said, I want to fill you with my presence, I want to empower you, and then I want to send you on mission for me in this world. That doesn't mean, oh, if I allow God to fill me with the Spirit, I'm going to have to go to, the, to Africa as a missionary. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about day-to-day, average, ordinary Christians just simply going through their average week, empowered by God to be his witness. You see, it's the difference between the, the co-worker that comes up and says something to you, and you respond, oh, yeah, that's good, and, you re- and responding, wait a minute, no. Let's talk about that. And we begin to share our faith into that moment, into that experience. I had uh, received a text this past week, and uh, actually it might have even been yesterday or the day before, and it was, uh, it was uh, I won't tell you the details of it, but it was a co-worker that was struggling with something and she put it out there and, and said, I totally disagree with this, blah, blah, blah. And I responded back. I waited a while, and I said, you know, I need to respond back. I said, theologically, what you read and what you've heard in that book that you showed us, the picture of that page, what you read theologically is accurate and is correct. Practically, I don't think it was the timing when that book is given to say those words to that person. But theologically, it is correct. And I realized when I said that, I am challenging her understanding of God. And I understand, yes, I'm working in a Christian environment with other Christians, but I also understand that there are times when we have to say right is right, wrong is wrong. And there are times that we have to say, check it with the Bible, what's the Bible say? And we would miss those points if it wasn't for the infilling, empowering, sending presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, where he gives us the words and the power and the boldness to go on mission for him everywhere we've always gone. And our lives are different. And people look and say, something's different in their life, just like something was different in that corner of the temple. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's what being filled with the Spirit is. It's giving our lives completely to him, holding nothing back, and allowing him to come and shape us and change us into the people he needs us to be in this world to make a difference for him. And you know what we get to enjoy along the, along the way? We get to enjoy the full benefit of his presence in our lives and his Spirit living in us day after day after day. 
Well, I've kind of been sad. It's letting me down today. Have you been watching him? Yeah, some of you have. I've noticed that it's like one person went like this, glove. You know, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Well, the interesting thing about this glove is it's a glove, right? And what, are, what is the purpose of a glove? This glove really did do all those things I talked about, but there was one difference from what you see now and what I saw those days. the difference? Virtual fist bumps, everybody. Okay. It is filled, empowered, and on mission. You see, we're the glove. The Holy Spirit's my hand. I wonder what God could do with you if you allowed him to fill you and empower you and send you. So over the past few weeks, we've asked God for his presence, just like Moses did. We've given you a chance to give yourselves completely to God, just like David did. We've been seeking his presence in our lives and moving where he was moving, just like Elisha did. He's prepared through Jesus, he's prepared the way for us to enter into his presence. And God wants you to receive the power of his presence. There's only one question left. Why would you settle for anything less than God's presence in your life? I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Now, I I know we've got some things planned here. We're going to share around the table in a few moments where we've got a meal prepared for us out there and, and all of that's going on. But Pentecost isn't about all the stuff that happens in our lives. Pentecost is about God happening in our lives. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I, I wonder in this moment if some of you would say, by, by raising your hand, some of you would say, I need God to fill me with his presence. I'm willing to to take that step. Maybe it's for the first time today and say, God, I want your presence to fill me, empower me, and send me on mission for you. I'm tired of living this empty life. Even though it's as a Christian, I I feel like I'm like that glove. I'm just going through life and not doing much for you. And I want to sense your presence. I want to be filled with your presence today. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand up and hold it. Thank you. Just hold it up there for a moment. The other thing I noticed about the book of Acts, you can lay your, put your hands down. The other thing I noticed about the book of Acts is there was an initial filling at the day of Pentecost. And then there were subsequent times all throughout the book of Acts, hopefully as you've been reading through Acts, you've seen them and, and read them, where they were, these words happened. And they were filled by the Holy Spirit and did something great for God. They were filled by the Holy Spirit. You see, there are times in our lives where we get dry and tired in our faith. 
This past year, 2020, has been an unbelievable year emotionally for many of us, physically for many of us. I, I just wonder if there's some of you that would say, what I need today, in addition to those that have raised their hands and asked for a filling of the Spirit today, I wonder if there's some of you that would raise your hands and say, I need a fresh filling of the Spirit. I, I've taken that step before, but I am tired and worn out in my relationship with God. It's just become a routine thing. I need him to fill me with his presence again here, right here, right now, today. Yeah, many hands are popping up. Hold your hands up. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and I'd like you to, in your own words, just talk to God and just say, God, I, I'm, I, I'm tired of trying to live this Christian life on my own. I need more of you in my life than I'm experiencing right now. Would you perform a little mini Pentecost in my life today? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you just change my heart? I'm open to whatever you want to do. Would you fill me with your spirit? And then would you empower me to live this life that I know you want me to live? I, I know there's some things you want me to do. I know there's some things that you want me to say. And I've shied away from it because that's just not me. Would you empower me through your presence in my life to do and say those things? And then would you say to him, send me on mission for you. If that's to be a pastor or missionary around the world, that's great. Most likely it won't be, but it might be. And that's okay, God, if that's what you want from me, I'll do it. But would you send me on mission right here in this community where I live, to my neighbors, my family, my friends, through our church family as we gather together and, and get a new pastor and get some new ideas and go out and would you help us at Table Life to make a huge difference in this world because your spirit is going with us. Father, today, many have raised their hands. And Father, I think that's something that the longer we've been Christians, we really seek and understand that there are times in our lives where we need your presence more than we've been experiencing. There's times in our lives where just like Moses, we get frustrated and said, I'm not going another step further unless you go with me, God. Show me your glory. Show me your, your spirit and your presence in my life. And so, Father, today, would you answer the prayers of your people? Would you answer the prayers of those that have raised their hands and have asked for a, an, either an initial filling of your Holy Spirit or a, a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in their lives? Would you come upon them in a way that we're not looking for tongues of fire and a flame of fire and speaking other languages and a tornado to come through this room? But Father, sometimes you do that, but sometimes you come in a fresh, peaceful, quiet sense that you are here in this place changing lives. So Father, would you do that for those that have raised their hands this morning? Would you change their life, and embolden them like they've never experienced before, fill them like they've never experienced before, and send them on mission to make a difference in this world. We so desperately need that in our nation right now. We so desperately need for your church to rise up and be the church and to stop playing games and politics and complaining about wearing masks or not wearing masks and all that stuff. God, help us to get past all that because there's something so much bigger at risk, and that is people's eternal destiny. So if you do nothing else in any other church, 
would you come upon table life in a new and a fresh way? Would you come upon Pastor Chris in a new and a fresh way as you prepare her for here? And may you do something amazing through us, so amazing that people will say, there's something different happening in this corner of the county. We love you today. Thank you for starting all of this through your son on the cross and through Pentecost. And may we continue your work in this world. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.